Hear now the words of the living God. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. It's the word of God. You, you may be seated. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you that in your holy scriptures, you have revealed your will to us. So Lord, now as we come, we humbly come to you asking to hear from you through your word. So speak, Lord. Give us ears that can hear. Give us hearts that are ready to receive what you will speak to us. Give us the understanding that we need and give us the humility to live in light of what we understand, Lord. We know that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from you. Father, teach us this morning to live, to feed, to be nourished by your words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. If you're, if you're new here, uh, my name's... Dustin. Um, I'm one of the Dustins here. We have, we have uh, three pastors here right now at Del Cerro Baptist Church. Uh, my name is Dustin Saunders. I am the pastor of discipleship and worship. Um, our other Dustin is preaching over at Grace Church this morning, and Pastor Josh, whom gave the announcements this morning, is uh, pastor over a lot of things as well. So one of the things that you might notice uh, as you come here more regularly, again, if this is maybe your first or second time, is um, you'll, you'll at different times see all of us doing different things and preaching. Um, I often lead music, and so all that to say, if you just find my preaching just terrible, just come next week and there'll be someone else. Uh, it's okay. Um, but, but welcome. We're glad you're here with us. Um, well, as you might have noticed from our passage that we just read this morning, we're talking about a lot of things, but we're talking about sex. And we know all about this because sex is everywhere in our culture. The saying goes that sex sells, and it's true. And so we are bombarded, assaulted constantly 
with sex, through advertisements. We're bombarded with images and values and ideas and concepts that are sexual in nature. We, we can't escape it. It's on your phone. It's on billboards. It's on the TV. It's on the radio. It's in music. The culture at large is fixated on sex and sexuality. And so it's constantly and covertly at times pushing its various views about sex upon us, whether we realize it or not. It's a constant topic, underlying theme of TV shows, movies, music, podcasts, comedy, advertisements, books, social media. Social media is, is nothing if it's not infested with sexuality. And perhaps what's most disturbing is that all, all of these things that are being pushed on us, these ideas about sex and sexuality, do not line up with what the Bible says about sex. So we live in a sex-saturated world, but there's this temptation, I think, sometimes, because of all these different technologies and things, to think that our situation is unique in history. That our society is, is more sex-saturated than others have ever been. But that's not true. Although first century society, they, they didn't have the technologies that we have, it was every bit as sexual as our society, and in some ways, even more. And so the Thessalonians, whom Paul is writing to here, are not strangers to a world like ours. Their pagan culture that they are living and, and uh, uh, attempting to be faithful Christians, Christians in is like ours, a world where adultery is common, homosexuality is common, perversion, promiscuity, prostitution was not only legal, but celebrated in their culture. And so they, they get it, in a sense. And this is a blessing for us. Why? Because what it means is that what God has to say in his word is relevant to the society that we are living in. It is relevant to us. Paul is writing to a people who are in a society like ours that is saturated with sex, and specifically, unbiblical views about sex. But the culture did not create sex. God created sex. God created us. God created sex. And so what he says about it, we need to hear. So this morning, we're going to look at one of the many Text. There are many texts in the Bible that address this issue from all sorts of different angles. We could spend a whole series going through all these different texts, but we're just going to look at one this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and, and it's going to answer this, this question for us. How are we called to live as Christians in a sex-saturated society? How are we called to live as Christians in a sex-saturated society? How do we live lives pleasing to God 
in this area? The answer to this question is simple, and we're going to kind of unpack this as we go along, but here's the answer. The Lord Jesus calls Christians to live and grow in sexual purity by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus calls Christians to live and grow in sexual purity by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to see in our text. Now, now remember, this is a letter. So Paul, up to this point, uh, he's been in Thessalonica before. He's not anymore. He had taught them many things in person, many things that we don't hear because we don't have the, you know, there's not a podcast where we have Paul's teachings. We just have this letter. So we don't have the original instructions, but but what's wonderful is that Paul here tells us that he's basically just reminding them of what he has already taught them. But before Paul gives his instructions specifically about sexuality, he gives this this wonderful preface in verse 1 and 2. And so what he's going to do here in verses 1 and 2 is he's going to explain to them, remind them of of the authority that he has. He he reminds the Thessalonians that that he is not the source of these teachings. He's not the source of what he's going to tell them. He's not the source of these commands. Jesus is. And that's very important. And that's, that's our first point this morning. That's the first thing we're going to see in the text is this. The Christian seeks to please God by living according to God's standards. Another way you could say that, a true follower of Jesus seeks to live how Jesus says to live. Look at verse 1 and 2. Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the, in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Now notice the tone. The tone. Paul's setting the tone for what he's about to say. The tone is serious. This is serious. This is not a laughing matter. As Paul transitions here to the more instructive, the more uh, doctrinal part of his letter, he shifts the tone. Notice the language. What Paul is about to tell the Thessalonians, and and by extension to, to us, these are not just guidelines These are not just suggestions. They aren't optional. The the, the word translated instructions in verse 2, if you look at verse 2, it says instructions in the ESV. This word has a definition um, of this, an announcement respecting something that must be done. You could translate it in order or a command. So these aren't instructions as in, here's the instruction manual, you can use it if you want. These are instructions that must be done. This is how they are to live. Paul says, this is how you ought to walk. In other words, this is how you are to live if you are in Christ Jesus. You want to please God. If you want to be faithful to Jesus, you must listen to what Paul has to say. So that's the tone. It's it's a serious tone. And notice the content of these verses, what he's about to say. It's, it's from the Lord Jesus. He says that twice here, and I'll say it again. It's from the Lord Jesus. It's from King Jesus. He says, we ask you and urge you. 
in the Lord Jesus. And in verse 2, Paul gives these instructions, he says, these commands through the Lord Jesus. So what we're hearing is both in and through the Lord Jesus. These are not Paul's ideas. These are not Paul's suggestions. Paul is telling them, I am simply a servant of Jesus, communicating to Jesus' people what Jesus says and how Jesus commands them to live. These, these words are authoritative then over them and over us who claim to follow Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we are a people under authority. We are a people under the authority of the Lord Jesus. That's what Paul is showing us in this text. Look again at the end of verse 1. Paul here is going to reveal to us how we believers are to live and to please God. Look at the end of verse 1. and He says here, This is how you ought to walk and to please God. This is, this is how you are to please God. Now, I want to just think about that for a second. Because if you, if you sit and think about that long enough, that statement, this is how you are to please God, should cause your, your mouth to drop a little bit. Simply by, by this, by implication, you can live a life that is pleasing to God. That's, that's amazing. You can live a life that is pleasing to the perfect, infinite, holy God of the universe. And that's amazing because you know you, I know me, we are not perfect, we are not infinite, we are not holy, and yet, because of God's grace, we can live lives that are pleasing to God. The Thessalonians are doing it, they're doing it. He says that in verse 1, this is how you are to please God, just as you are doing. They are pleasing God with their lives. Sometimes, I think we view God as just angry and upset and disappointed in us all the time. But that's not the God of the Bible. Now, sure, we can do those things, but, you, but it's possible here to please God. It, that's, a, that's a marvelous, miraculous, amazing truth. We weak little humans can please the infinite and perfect creator of the universe. Because he has revealed his will to us. We, who were once dead in our trespasses and sins, enemies of God, hostile towards God, unable to please him now because of him, are able to please him because of Jesus Christ. Don't forget that, especially as we continue in this. So, so that's the tone. It's a serious tone. These, these commands are coming from Jesus, and they're going to teach us how to live and please God, specifically in this these section of verses in the area of sexuality. But notice this also in these first two verses. It's a process. It's a process. Look at the end of verse 1. So just as you are doing, so the Thessalonians are doing it, they're pleasing God, that you do so more and more. So, so Paul says you are living lives that are pleasing to God. Keep doing it and keep growing in that. Do so more and more. Keep learning. 
keep living the kind of life that is pleasing to God. It's possible, but it's also a process. See, the Christian life that pleases God is a life of growth. And to me, this is incredibly encouraging because what it means is that we don't have to be a finished, complete product before we can please God. We please God in the process. We don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to have it all figured out and be perfect to please God. God has not called us to be finished products, but works in progress. And that's what we all are. We all are works in progress in the Lord Jesus. As we seek to follow Jesus, we're like the five freeway, always under construction, never finished, right? And just when we think you get to that one part of the freeway and you're like, oh, they finally finished it. Then you see they started construction somewhere else. It's how our lives are. And we need not be discouraged by that. Sometimes I think we do get discouraged, though, because we desire to be more mature in the faith than we are. And that's okay. That's a good desire. But we've got, we've got to not let that discourage us. Why am I not there yet? God is powerful enough. If God wanted you to just be perfect like that, he could do it. One day he will do it. But that's not his will. In his grace and mercy, he has chosen for us to grow more and more day by day, slowly, at times quicker, at other times by the power of his spirit. This is what pleases God. Christians living in obedience to him and growing in obedience to him. It's pretty simple. To be a follower of Jesus at its most basic level is to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and to seek to please him in every area of our lives. To seek to bring all the areas of our lives under submission to Lord Jesus. Jesus himself said, if, if you love me, you will keep my commands. This is how we love Christ. This is how we demonstrate our loyalty to King Jesus. So, so this is how Paul sets us up for what follows. It's a serious tone. It's a command from Jesus, and we are to live according to it, and we are to grow in it. So what does he have to say? Well, what he has to say basically is this. God's will for the Christian is sexual holiness. Now, he in verse 11, verse 9 through uh, 12, he gets on to some other things that this, this preface will also apply to. We'll look at those another time. But specifically here, Paul reveals to us that God's will for me, for you, for the Thessalonians is sexual holiness. Holiness. We are to live lives that are sexually pure. Our, our, our sexual ethic is to be distinct from the world around us. Look, look at verse 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You could also translate that, your holiness. What does that look like? What's Paul talking about? He tells us that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. How many times have you heard someone ask the question, I want to know what God's will for my life is? There it is. 
This is the will of God for your life, your sanctification, your holiness, your growth in obedience. This is God's desire for you. So what is that? What, what is sanctification? That's a, that's a big, fancy, $5 theological word, is it not? Well, there's, there's a couple different ways we can come at this. The Westminster Shorter Catechism defines it this way, and this is a really helpful definition. This is, the question is, what is sanctification? This is how they answer. It's the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. What a beautiful definition. And you can see in this definition, concept we just saw in verse 1, more and more. Day by day we are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. It's a process. Sanctification is a process. Our holiness is a process. Another way you could look at it, The Reformation Study Bible puts it this way. I love this definition as well. Sanctification is an ongoing process dependent on God's continuing action in the believer and consisting of the believer's continuous struggle against sin. God's method of sanctification is neither activism or self-reliant activity nor apathy. God-reliant passivity, but human effort dependent upon God. That's what sanctification is. That is what we are being called to here, specifically in the area of sexuality. Sanctification is the believer's continued growth in obedience to God's revealed word. It is, it is the Christian life. This is not something that's, that's optional or that you do if you want extra credit with God. This is what a believer does, pursues sanctification, pursues obedience. A true Christian desires to please God. A true Christian desires to live according to God's word, however imperfectly Now, obviously, obviously this idea of of holiness, of sanctification, of obedience encompasses all areas of life. But again, this text is specific. This text is calling us, calling me, calling you to holiness in regards to our sexuality. We are to pursue sexual holiness. In other words, we are to be distinct from the world in the way that we think about sex, in the way that we talk about sex, and especially how we or if or when we go about sex. The way that Paul describes this for us kind of has a a negative side and a positive side. So negatively, here, what are we not to do? What are we to stay away from? Verse 4, we must abstain from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Now, what, what is this? What is sexual immorality? It's a Greek word. You may have heard this before, porneia. You can obviously see all the various things that we get from that in our English language. And and this word is is one word that encompasses all sexual acts that take place outside of the marriage of one man and one woman. So it just covers everything. 
we are to abstain from all these things. As Christians, God has commanded us to stay away from, to not partake in, to not engage in any and all types of premarital or extramarital sexual activities of any kind, not just intercourse, but all the other stuff. We are not to engage in adultery. We are not to engage in homosexual acts. We are not to engage in the viewing of any type of pornography, whether it's on some website or Netflix or HBO or magazine or social media. By the way, you might hear that and think, well, that's, that's a man's problem. No, it's not. All the modern statistics are showing us that just as many women are struggling in this area, we are to abstain from that. We are not to engage in lust, in, in fantasizing, in leering at members of the opposite sex or the same sex. Too often, I've heard it said, hey, I'm just looking, I'm not touching, it's fine. That is not the teaching of the Bible. Jesus himself says in Matthew 5, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman or man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We are not to engage in that. We are not to engage in Filthy sexual talk or coarse joking, as Paul says in Ephesians. We are to abstain from all forms of sexual immorality. We are to be distinct from the world in regards to our sexuality. This is what God is calling us to. Now you might say, you could hear that and see, gee, say, gee, that, that sounds very restrictive that sounds uh, anti-sex. You could, you could put on your Freudian hat and say, that sounds repressive. But that's not true at all. The, the Bible is not anti-sex. It's pro-sex. Amen. Somebody. <laughs> God created sex. He created sexual pleasure. He created marriage. God is pro-sex. He gave it to us as a gift. He could have made procreation pleasureless, but he didn't. It's a wonderful, beautiful gift. God is, is so pro-sex that he forbids husband and wives from withholding it from each other. The Bible literally teaches that husbands and wives should have sex. But, but God created it. He knows more than anyone else in the world what it is. He gave us commands, he gave us boundaries wherein we are supposed to enjoy it for our own good and safety and for his glory. Outside of that, when we transgress those boundaries that he has set up, that is sexual immorality. It is sinful and it is dangerous and harmful. He gave us sex and he gave us these boundaries out of his goodness and grace. It's not anti-sex. Would you say someone is anti-driving because I say don't drive on the sidewalk? No. You are obeying the proper boundaries of this dangerous thing that you are doing. God has a glorious design for sex, but it is within marriage. 
we are to abstain, to refrain, to stay away from all forms of sexual immorality. Ephesians says these, these types of sexual sins should not even be named among God's people. And for, for a second, I mean, I'm not naive. I read the statistics. All of us in some form or another are struggling with sexual sin. No one's perfect. I don't have it all figured out. So it almost seems a bit unrealistic, right? Like, kind of like telling someone with depression, well, yeah, just stop being depressed. What are you so sad about, right? Someone with anxiety, well, just stop being anxious. What are you worrying about? That's not how it works, okay? Uh, because we, we all have these desires. We, we all fight against sexual temptation. But, but God knows that. Paul knows that. Paul acknowledges it. He calls it out in the text. Look, look what he says next. Look at verse 4 and 5. Verse 5. He tells us how we are to abstain. By being in control of our desires rather than being controlled by them. So he acknowledges that these things are there, but we are to control them. Verse 5. What does it mean that each one of you know how to control his or her own body in holiness, in honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Look at the stark contrast. There, there should be a stark contrast between the way that Christians experience and view sexuality and the way that Gentiles, pagans, unbelievers do. And what is that contrast? Paul says that the non-Christian, the pagan, the Gentile, is controlled by their sexual desire, or as he calls it, the passion of lust. The unbeliever then follows his lust. Whatever he or she finds sexually desirous or attractive, they go with that. They go do it. It's generalization, obviously. Whatever lust there is, well, go do it. Whatever makes you happy, you do you. The unbeliever follows their heart. They do whatever feels right at the time. They're a slave to these sexual desires. But, but the follower of Jesus is to be different. Different. We are to be distinct. That's, that's one of the ideas that's contained in that word sanctification or, or holiness. Separate. Different. We, we are to know how to control our own bodies in holiness, in honor. We are to be in control over our sexual desires and not vice versa. Remember what Paul said at the beginning. These, these are the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your calling, part of your Christian calling, is to master your sexual desire. You must master and control your body. The, the world, unbelievers, should look at Christians and their sexuality and think, weirdos, we shouldn't fit in in this area. And so we must abstain from sexual immorality. We must control our bodies rather than be controlled by them. And one of the things I love about the Bible and I love about God, and specifically the Apostle Paul's writings, is he never gives us a command to do like this without giving us a reason. He always, he always gives us reasons. Why, why should we obey this? I mean, obviously it's God's word, so if you're a Christian, you're, you're seeking to obey it, but he gives us more reasons. So the, that's the command. We are to abstain from sexual immorality. We are to pursue sexual holiness. Paul gives us three reasons in this text why 
we are to obey this command. Number one, Jesus is coming again as judge. So look at verse six. So he gives us now these three reasons. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Paul's saying here, it's solemn, it's serious. He says the Lord Jesus is going to execute judgment against sexual sin. This, this title, avenger, is, an, is a legal title. It's not, don't think Marvel, okay? <laughs> it's not that type of avenger. It means one who's going to deal out punishment that is rightly due to someone. But, but you might have heard me say Jesus. How do, how do we know what Paul's talking about Jesus here? Because he is. Well, well, look at the language he's been using. This is the language he's, he's used all throughout this passage to refer to Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 1, he said, in the Lord Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 2, he said, through the Lord Jesus. Back in chapter 3, verse 13, he had said, at the coming of our Lord Jesus. But most strikingly of all here, is the language that we find in 2 Thessalonians, another letter Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. You can just flip over a couple pages. I want you to see this text with your own eyes. And again, this is one of those texts that you have to think of. Does this fit into my picture of who I think of when I think of Jesus? And if it doesn't, the Bible's not wrong. You need to change your view of Jesus. Listen to what Paul says here. Since indeed God, who considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us, when is God going to do this? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting, here's our key word, same word, vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day. This is, this is the Jesus of the Bible. What's Paul saying here? There are serious consequences for sin. There are serious consequences for knowing what pleases God, knowing how God has commanded us to live, and just ignoring it. Sexual sin is, is no small thing. It's, it's no laughing matter. Sexual holiness, sexual purity is, is not an optional thing that, again, you can do if you want, but uh, you've got God's grace, you'll be fine. That is not how the Bible talks about these things. Sexual immorality, Colossians says, is bringing the wrath of Almighty God. And so here's the question that Paul wants to raise How can someone who claims to believe and love this Lord Jesus, willingly take part in something that's bringing his wrath. 
We can't. We must not. If, if you love Jesus, how, how can you spurn his commands? We can't. We must not do this. We must flee from sexual sin. And so what Paul's saying here is that those who reject this command, I'm not talking about those who struggle with this and, and who, who desire to please God and who are fighting against sexual sin. I'm, I'm talking about those who say, I don't care, it's fine, are, are putting themselves in this category in 2 Thessalonians 1 of those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who claim the name of Jesus but show no desire to obey Jesus. Paul's saying, don't be deceived. That is not a category of someone who will be safe on judgment day. That is a demonstration of disloyalty to the Lord Jesus. So if, you, if you're here this morning and you're living in sexual sin, you're, you're practicing sexual sin as, as 1 John would say, you've, you've made friends with it. You're no longer fighting it. You've just given into it. God is speaking this solemn warning to you. Paul's telling you, the Lord Jesus is an avenger. Do not be deceived. Turn back. Turn back from your sin and turn back to Christ. Put your faith in him. Desire to please him. Take up the fight against this sin. And you'll find Christ an all-sufficient and perfect Savior. You cannot have Jesus as Lord and Savior and have your sin too. You have to choose. That's the first reason for this command. The second is this, God has called us to holiness. So in other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's, it's not your own doing, but it's because God has called you to himself. And this calling is to holiness. That the very call of the gospel is to come out of impurity into holiness. Look at verse 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Paul's again emphasizing this fact. Holiness, sanctification, this, this pursuit of sexual purity is not optional. It's part of uh, the Christian life. It's a necessary component of the Christian life. It's part of what it means to become a follower of Jesus. It is the calling of God. It's part of what it means to follow Jesus at all times and in all places. And the third reason Paul gives us is this. How could you disregard the very God who has given you life and now gives you power to do it? Verse 8, therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man. Paul says, if you reject this, you're not rejecting my words. But God, which God? The one who gives his holy, same word, spirit to you. Again, brothers and sisters, don't disregard this. You cannot disregard the call to sexual holiness. The very God who called us out of death and into life is calling us to sexual holiness. The very God who has given us his holy spirit is calling us to holiness. It's just part of what it means to be a Christian. We have the Holy Spirit within us. God, in his grace, has given us the Holy Spirit 
the same Holy Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit who is hovering over the waters at the creation of the world, is in us to sanctify us, to make us holy. Later in 1 Thessalonians, Paul's going to say, do not quench the Spirit. If anything is quenching the Spirit, rejecting the pursuit of holiness is quenching the Holy Spirit. Now, I know what happens when you hear a text like this. There's, I know because I'm the same way. There's a tendency to, to feel defeated, maybe, in your fight against sexual sin. You're to feel condemned because of your sexual sin, because you're not completely perfect and not struggling with any sexual sin, to, to feel this as a great burden. But I want you to hear me loud and clear. Jesus died to save sexual sinners. Jesus died to save sexual sinners. Sinners. Jesus didn't die to condemn sexual sinners. He died to condemn sexual sin. He died to save sexual sinners. Sexual sin is not the unpardonable sin. If, if your faith is in Christ this morning, Jesus paid the price for all of your sexual sin with his own blood. Richard Sibbs, one old Puritan, said it this way, There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in you. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The blood of Christ is enough to cleanse you, to redeem you from even the most heinous sexual acts. But the blood of Christ cleanses you, redeems you. Not so that you can continue in these things, but so that you can be free from them. Think of it this way. When God chose to save you, he knew all about your sexual sin. Whatever whatever it is, wherever it is in that list, he knew. He knew about all of your sexual issues. He, He knew about every sinful act that you would commit. He knew about every sinful thought that you had, that you are having, that you would have in the future. He saw you dead in your trespasses and sins, hostile towards him, hating him. And yet in that state, when you were his enemy, he sent his son to die for you. He's not scared by your sin. He's not surprised by it either. You can't hide it from him. So don't try. He sent his son, Jesus, not in spite of your sin, but because of it. He didn't see you and say, look at that dirty sexual sinner. I'll send Jesus, I guess, for him, even though he's a sinner. No, he said, look at that dirty sexual sinner. I'll send Jesus for him because he's a sexual sinner. He sent his son to free us from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. That's the beauty and the wonder of the cross of Christ. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that we who were dead in our sins under the rightful condemnation of God have been forgiven in Christ Jesus. 
We have been justified. We have been declared righteous, not because of how holy we are or how much effort we can muster to pursue holiness, but because of how holy Jesus is. So here's the truth. If you are in Christ by faith, the blood of Christ has freed and, from, and forgiven you of your sexual sin. Freed and forgiven you from your sexual sin. It's not your job to free yourself. You are freed from it. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So see, here's what that means. You are not trapped in your sin. If you are a believer in Christ, you are not enslaved to sexual sin. You can master your body. You can control your body. You can control your sexual desire. Paul tells the Corinthian church, after listing off various sexual sins, and such were, were some of you, but you were washed. Brothers and sisters, Jesus welcomes sinners to his table, but he doesn't leave them that way. In Christ, we have been set free from our sin, not set free to sin. You are not enslaved to your sexual Sin, And I'm emphasizing that because I know that that is a lie that is out there, that you could even feel that, but I can't do anything about it. I'm addicted to it. That's not true. By the power of the Holy Spirit of God living in you, you can overcome it. This, this idea that, that you're trapped in it, it's just you, it's just, that is a lie from the mouth of Satan himself. To believe that, to believe that and to live as if that's true is, is to empty the cross and the resurrection of Christ of all of its meaning. There's an episode of The Simpsons. I'm not recommending it necessarily, but there's an episode of The Simpsons. This is, this is such an amazing illustration of, of sin where Homer gets his hand stuck in a, a soda vending machine, okay? Maybe you remember it if you've seen it. He actually gets both hands stuck in vending machines. And he, he can't get out. So he's stuck overnight. And eventually the vending machine technicians come and they, they, they start to take the machine apart to get him out. And what they realize is the only reason he couldn't take his hands out is because he wouldn't let go of the sodas that he was grabbing on. Okay? That is how our sin is. You are not trapped in this vending machine of sin unless you won't let go of your sin. Again, I'm not saying that's easy or that it just, you know, just, okay, just ha make it happen. But it's what we are commanded to, to take part in this process. Do not believe the lie that you are trapped. You are not if you are in Christ. And if you are not in Christ, you're not believing in Christ, and you are feeling trapped in your sin, then come, come to faith in Christ. He'll fill you with his Holy Spirit and free you from the bonds and the guilt and the power of sin. The power that sin had over us has been broken by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let us stop returning to the very sins that put Christ upon that cross. 
The Lord Jesus died to save sexual sinners. But he does not allow us to remain sexual sinners. The same Jesus who purchased our redemption is the same Jesus who sends his Holy Spirit to make us holy. Let us pursue that together. Jesus is calling you, is calling me, is calling us as a church this morning to pursue sexual holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Even though we live in a sex-saturated society, what a testimony to the power of the gospel it would be if we were holy and distinct in this area. Let's Join in the process together. Let us heed the words of our gracious and merciful Lord and Savior this morning. Let let us repent where we need to. Let us turn to him in mercy. Let us turn to him in repentance. And together, let us pursue the sexual holiness that God is calling to by his power. Let's do this all as we look to the cross of Christ. As we look to him in our time of help and need, as we remember his grace for us. Let's pray.